My name is Deborah. I'm a writer who loves all things money. I'm Hui Yu, and I'm a financial advisor who wants to help you fall in love with money. And you're listening to Good Girls Talk About Money, the monthly podcast where we talk about how you can build a clearer picture of your financial well-being and be more confident about money in general. Welcome back to the November episode of Good Girls Talk About Money. Now, um, for those of you who have dabbled or are dabbling in crypto, you will know that recently the market hasn't been doing too well uh, due to some upheavals. So, and I think that's also one of the things why we're talking about, um, why we're talking um, to someone from Ledger today to just sort of, you know, um, let everyone know why you might want to consider getting a crypto hardware wallet and what does it actually do now before we actually go into the nitty-gritty of a crypto hardware wallet here with us this month is andrew lila tapin apac general manager of ledger hi andrew hey dev how are you good 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 i hope um you know ledger's seeing a lot of um, sales um these days with everybody being very concerned about you know securitizing their cryptocurrency but before we go into that tell us a little bit more about yourself of course thank you i mean it's a it's a pleasure to to be invited onto this podcast um i hope uh you know i hope listeners do come away with with some insights on digital assets and and more importantly how to how to best protect them uh, so as um, Deborah mentioned, um, you know, I'm, I'm at Ledger and, uh, you know, Ledger has been a leader in securing and buying and exchanging crypto assets uh, for the last eight years, right? So over 15% of all global crypto assets are secured by some Ledger technology. So Ledger is, is best known for Ledger Nanos. Right. So there's been over like five million consumer sales, I'd say, in the last two weeks. Like, you know, there have been record sales. It's the hardware wallet uh, designed to give consumers a way to secure their digital assets. Mm-hmm. And the ledger also has solutions for companies and brands, uh, you know, where security, governance, reporting and transparency matters. Nice. Before I think we go into how a Ledger wallet actually works mm. for maybe a retail investors, for instance, maybe you can sort of talk to us a little bit about how you get into crypto. For those of you who need a little bit of context, so, you know, I'm, I've recently joined Bitstamp, which is the world's longest standing crypto exchange. And um, Andrew was briefly <laughs> my boss. So before he, he joined Ledger. So Andrew, you know, I don't really know much about your journey into crypto so maybe you know you can sort of also talk a little bit about how you got into crypto and what has your journey in the industry as an investor and someone working in it been like of course of course no it was um it was a pleasure working with you deborah albeit for a very uh short time uh, but nonetheless we still interact in the industry it's a very very sort of like close-knit industry here so how did i get into crypto well so I worked in financial markets for over 15 years. Um, and, you know, I first saw similarities in market structure between crypto trading and FX trading. So essentially, 
I was seeing like, you know, BTC prices on, on Bloomberg screens. And, you know, I saw, you know, potential to trade these markets. And that was really sort of like my first sort of like foray into crypto trading. And so this would have been about like, you know, eight years ago. I then started learning more about blockchain technology and I was hooked, right? It was then for me really like a journey of, of learning, continued trading, and then also interacting with market participants, uh, particularly here in Singapore. It was, you know, Singapore is, um, is definitely a hub in crypto. There's a lot of crypto talent here. It was, it was fortunate to be that I was here in Singapore um, and developing that sort of um, interaction with, with market participants. And then at some point I figured I needed to figure what value could I bring to the space. Um, and so, like, you know, there'd been, there'd been various, like, you know, parts of that journey. I'd been in the VC space, the, in the startup space as well, which, like, you know, uh, failed nice and quickly. But, um, you know, then as, um, as Deb mentioned, um, I joined Bitstamp a few years ago to set up their Asian operation. And that's kind of been, that's kind of been a, you know, a very eventful journey. And that kind of brings me to today, you know, so I guess for me, like what I very much enjoy about it is that in the time that I've been involved in crypto, like I've seen development at such a fast pace, right? Market structures that would normally take decades to develop in other industries, they take years, right? The speed of innovation, the talent in the in the industry and the technology that's all been sort of hyper pace and so i guess from someone working in this i've seen numerous market cycles both as an investor and as someone working in it and the reality is that market cycles occur naturally right but what we see with each cycle in crypto is that there's continued improvement in the ecosystem Right. So there's a better understanding of interacting with existing ecosystems, notably traditional financial ecosystems, but also, say, uh, Web2 ecosystems. And then there has been definitely increased market participation uh, across all that time, uh, both in retail and both in institutional participation. Mm -hmm. like Not knowing what's ahead is what makes this sort of super exciting. So really like just a last point a touch about like the investor's perspective, the adage like time in the market, not timing the market still holds true for digital assets, right? So like it's no different to any sort of other asset class. Um, but being a young industry, uh, you know, the risks and the volatility associated would can be naturally higher. And thus the education about it is, is super, super important. I like the point that you brought up about how, you know, certain things like time in the market is still better than timing the market. And that still applies for crypto. I think in the last couple of weeks, you know, everyone's talking about how, you know, with the FTX fallout, mm. you know, um, oh, crypto is so volatile. This is this is proof that crypto is not stable, etc. And yesterday, Leonard, you know, our colleague like brought mm. up how just to clarify, it's not crypto that is that is inherently that that crypto is inherently bad. It's actually bad business practices that mm -hmm. has led to FTX fallout. 
And I think this is something that everyone needs to know, right? It's, you know, everyone thinks that, oh, because it's crypto, I'm here to make a quick buck. Because it's crypto, things are super volatile, you know, everybody is just in here. And there's a lot of, you know, previously when you talk to people about crypto, there's always this sense of bravado, right? Oh yeah, you know, to the moon, right? And I'm going to like go in with $10,000 and I'm going to come out tomorrow with $50,000. This is what crypto is about. Bringing to our next question, you know, it's not been spectacular year for crypto this year. Um, so has your personal faith in crypto changed in any way, you know, given recent market developments, given how the market's been performing this year? I mean, that's a that's a good question. And like the simple answer is is not at all. Digital assets and, and Web3, they keep moving forward. At some point in the near future, every company, every brand will need a Web3 presence. Uh, so, I mean, a big bunch of crypto was, you know, was born out of speculation. And, you know, speculation fuels market price activity. That needs to give way to value creation, right? So speculation needs to give way to value creation. And we see that happening. Um, it's taking it's taking its time, but like I said earlier, like you know, the speed in which things move in 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 the crypto space and the broader Web three space is is super fast and super exciting. The interest in Web three it's just exploded in the last few years, right? So like when when there was that bull market which we saw last year, um, there was an unprecedented amount of new actors in the space achieving scale that we've never really seen before. So what it means is that when it's when it's moments like this and like, you know, I go sort of like, you know, liken it to in the bull markets, it's difficult for firms to, I guess, manage operations and security because like they're just trying to keep up with the rapid growth. Things like that kind of get put to the side. Right. Um, and then this creates enormous risk, as we've all seen. Uh, the impact of like the FTX like implosion has been huge. Right. There's been so much digital value wiped off the markets. But if you take a step back and you go and look at look at it in reality, FTX is just an exchange failing. Right. They um, obviously had, you know, we're obviously seeing now a lot of a lot of um, what happened internally in terms of mismanagement. But I see that this is like a reset that we had to have. Bad actors are never good for any industry, and we should always look to minimize and/or um, ideally eliminate those. I mean, let's yeah. have that like Bitcoin and, and Ether. They've been performing solidly, solidly over the past two mm. weeks. So Bitcoin yeah. doesn't care about FTX. Yeah, I think you know the the moment the news about FTX came out, right? A lot of people got. You know, they said they created like a bank run situation and everybody was scrambling to get their cryptocurrency out and stuff like that. And I think that has brought up the topic on the necessity of using a crypto wallet to store your tokens, right? So can you tell us what a crypto wallet is? And, you know, I know there is um, a difference between hardware wallet and, you know, a hot wallet and a cold wallet. And why is it so important for crypto investors to look into having a crypto wallet, so to say? Yeah. The F FTX sort of um, collapse is essentially the reason why you need 
your own self custody of your assets. If you'd left your assets on exchange with FTX, which unfortunately many people have had that misfortune of doing, then you would not have access to those assets anymore. Right. So that in itself is, is reason enough. Crypto is a form of digital value, right? So that crypto is, exists on the blockchain. So then let's say you've bought some crypto assets, say off an exchange. How do you secure them? Right. So really like, I guess it's worth understanding a little bit about how this works technically. As a crypto owner, you have a wallet, right? So your wallet isn't actually held, your value isn't actually inside this wallet, it's stored on the blockchain. But when you created that wallet, um, whether it be a hardware wallet or whether it be a wallet via an exchange or a software wallet, it created a pair of keys, right? So one, a public key or public keys and private keys. So my analogy that, um, that I think works well is that a public key is like a mailbox address, right? So anyone can send value to this address. The private key is like your mailbox key, right? So only you should have access to your mailbox key. So only you should have access to your private key and therefore access your value. Also, the difference is a private key is needed to sign any transactions that move this value, right? So, you know, if you want to do withdrawals, if you want to send like, um, you know, um, assets to different addresses in order to validate those transactions, you need your private key. So that is why protecting your private key is super important and making sure that you're the only one who can make those transactions. So that's in summary, like, you know, if you don't hold your keys, you don't hold your crypto, right? And the only time you really hold your keys when they're in a self-custody situation. So you have choices when it comes to self-custody and you have places where you can keep your crypto wallet, right? You can keep them on a mobile phone. You can keep them on a laptop. Uh, the evolution around that sort of security for crypto has resulted in the development of a hardware wallet. A hardware wallet is a physical device. It's designed to protect your crypto assets by securing the private keys. So as I mentioned earlier, pub you've got your public keys and your private keys. Your private keys always stay offline in a Ledger Nano hardware, wa hardware wallet. So therefore, it's less vulnerable to any sort of attacks, right? So anytime you're interacting online, so, you know, that is with a mobile phone, that is with a laptop, when you're engaging on exchanges, there can potentially be hacks. And then the wallets can be stolen, the keys can be stolen. Why is a hardware wallet better for you to properly hold your crypto assets? Because when you are on a hot wallet, which is another name for, say, ex an exchange wallet would be a hot wallet, right? Because it's connected online. In this instance, um, the exchange holds your private keys, right? So you have the public keys to interact, but the exchange holds your pr private keys. If you don't hold your private keys, you don't hold your coins. 
storing your cryptocurrency on an exchange, and this is another analogy I like to use because I think it's all always great to have these analogies in order to sort of simplify that understanding. It's sort of like if you have crypto on your exchange, it's like parking your car in someone else's garage. So you could have the key to your car, right? So you have the key to your car, but the key to the garage is with the garage owner, right? So if the garage owner doesn't share his key with you, you can't drive the car despite owning it, right? So FTX was very much case in point of that, right? Like, you know, you're storing your assets, your value on an exchange, but when you need to access it, you may or may not be able to. I think that's a, that's a like really good food for thought, right? Because I think a lot of people see having a hardware wallet as something to prevent hacking. Like, you know, some of the you know, examples about how, why you should store your crypto on a hardware wallet is so that hackers, when they hack the exchange, they will make off with your crypto, etc. A lot of people fail to see that it is something that you should be doing on a pretty regular basis, right? You buy the crypto and then after that, you shift it into a hardware wallet just so that, you know, when you want to access your crypto, it is there and you, you're not like, you know, waiting for that exchange to recognize your withdrawal request, etc. I mean, the beauty of being in Web3, right, is it empowers people for the first time to be able to practice self-custody. So every user who is capable and informed, they should get their own wallet and they should cut their exposure to third parties. Um, obviously, we obviously like exchange mechanisms and intermediaries are a must, right? Like we 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 they enable us to be able to buy and sell. So that's always going to be the case. But you want to be able to cut your exposure as much as possible to third parties. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I like like how you use the analogy of the mailbox. Another analogy to make it easier for our listeners to understand how it works. I'm, I'm like, I love using chicken rice analogy, right? So one of the things that I was thinking about, it's almost like you telling the chicken rice store, you know, every day I'm going to come and claim two packets of chicken rice. But one day you go to the chicken rice store and you've already paid up for that two packets of chicken rice every day till the end of the year, for example. But one day you go to the chicken rice store and he's folded, like he's closed for business and he doesn't tell you, you know, where he's going, what he's doing with the money, etc. And so you are actually not able to claim your chicken rice, the chicken rice that you've paid for anymore. But what is better for you is that, you know, if you know that you wanted to eat 50 packets of chicken rice this year, maybe what would have made sense is for you to get that 50 packets of chicken rice all in one go and freeze it in your freezer so that whenever you want to eat chicken rice, you can just microwave it and then you get your chicken rice. So that is also another analogy for, for you listeners to sort of wrap your head around why you need a crypto wallet. But Andrew, the next question is, does it make sense to have a crypto wallet from the get-go? Because for me personally, I only thought about getting a crypto wallet when you know my investment in cryptocurrency went above a certain value. Because below a certain value, and considering the price of a a Ledger Nano, for example, right? Then I was thinking to myself, you know, it doesn't make sense to securitize $50 worth of Bitcoin. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, um, so does it make sense to get a crypto hardware wallet from the get-go or it only makes sense to be invested in a certain amount first? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so my thought's pretty simple and it's going to be a very straightforward, quick answer. When is the right time to invest in a hardware wallet? I'd say in Singapore, the Ledger Nano starts from $120. If the digital value that you have across all your various wallets and exchanges exceeds this amount, it makes sense to purchase a ledger or a hardware wallet at this point. That to nice. me, that makes sense, right? Um, mm. I don't think there anything, there's anything more really to that, right? Um, yes, there is a starting point. It is $120. It doesn't make sense to secure like, you know, $50 worth of like assets in that. But as soon as it exceeds that, then it, then it, then that makes sense. And what are some other best practices or good habits to have when using your crypto hardware wallet? And also one of the things that um, I'm really curious about, do I really lose everything if I lose my private keys? Yeah, yeah. So I guess like best practices, and I'll I'll come back to like, you know, the beauty of Web3, it empowers the ability for people to practice self-custody. And I think that really is the big, big key and the differentiator um, for every sort of user, right? Um, there's a couple of sort of like best practices. Be cautious on on mobile phones and laptops. Uh, these devices are designed to do many great things, uh, but with that comes a sort of greater risk and susceptibility to hacks. And I guess like, you know, to reiterate again, uh, your crypto is not on your hardware wallet. The wallet simply stores the private keys uh, for your various sort of blockchain addresses and the crypto assets are always on the blockchain. So I think, um, you know, in terms of best practice, always secure your your private keys, right? Like, uh, you know, make sure that you hold them in a in a safe place don't store your recovery phrase with your private keys because obviously that that unlocks um, each other. In terms of your question on do I lose everything if I lose my recovery phrase, so just for the audience to understand, the recovery phrase phrases, the 24-word recovery phrases, they serve as a backup to your private keys on your ledger wallet. So as long as you have your recovery phrase, you're always able to gain access to your crypto. Um, You can also just restore any ledger device from your recovery phrase to recover the wallet configuration and access your, your funds. And so then back to that, like anyone with access to your recovery phrase can steal your crypto funds even without having access to your ledger device. Now, to your question specifically, if you lost your recovery phrase, but you remember your PIN code on your Nano, you can unlock your ledger device with that PIN code and you can manage your assets, right? So then you're able to then send out your assets. However, then it would be highly recommended to send those assets out and essentially look to generate a new set of recovery phrases, right? Essentially wiping your your hardware, your nano, 
resetting it, generating a, a set of new 24 words as that backup, right? So there is a way as long as you still have your pin access to your hardware wallet. Okay. Well, if you're a listener and you're feeling a bit intimidated by all these things, let me just tell you that it's actually not as complicated as, you know, how it may appear to be like, um, I guess from a personal experience, when I was setting up my own ledger wallet, first of all, you know, um, the package comes with these little cards where you can actually write down your 24 recovery phrases. And it's, um, in a pretty easy to save and store size. I remember when I was writing it down, my husband came home and looked over my shoulder and he was like, what are you doing? I was like, go away. You're not supposed to see these recovery phrases. So anyway, yeah. So you have a little cut, you know, they, they give you a little cut where you can write down your 24 recovery phrases. And then, you know, at the same time, yeah, you should kind of remember your pin code. And also I think um, the Ledger Live app that you install on your laptop, you also need like a password, right? So there's actually like a three-layer type of security that you are actually looking at. But like Andrew says, right, if you lose that 24 recovery phrases, but you still remember your PIN code, you can use your Ledger wallet to sort of send out your cryptocurrency to somewhere else before you reset that thing that wallet and then or get a new wallet and you know start the process all over again so it's not so disastrous as what many people may think yeah so i mean my final point on this is like i that is a question that comes up all the time like what mm. happens if i lose something here and the reality is that there is there is recovery to that but like you know best practice is just to make sure you secure all this stuff mm. also like you know how often do we lose our credit cards, our passport, our IC, our keys, right? Like it's not something that happens very often at all, especially if you're, you know, engaging in best practices with all your sort of valuables. One of the things that I'm curious about, when I transfer, you know, when I send my crypto from an exchange into my ledger wallet, then there's all these, there, there's still fees involved, right? Yeah. Are there fees involved? There are fees involved, yeah. right? You know, for me, I'm, I'm really not the kind who count pennies and stuff like that, right? But would you say you have to wait for your crypto to reach like a certain amount before you transfer it out to make that transaction fee, to make sense of that transaction fee? Because... I don't know whether it makes sense for, for, for somebody to, say, transfer their crypto into their ledger wallet on a weekly basis, regardless of the value, or they should just wait for it to hit a certain amount before they transfer out. What, what do you personally do, Andrew? Yeah, so I, I get the question. I understand the point. Um, there, is, there, is, there is fees for transaction, right? Because there is work done, and so people need to be rewarded for that. And, you know, to your point, how big do those fees like, you know, add up to what essentially is for me considered peace of mind, right? So it's the same as like paying premiums for insurance. Like you do it because it gives you peace of mind. And, you know, like the FTX example is case in point of that, right? It doesn't matter how much assets you had on exchange. If you didn't have the ability to get them out, you don't have access to them anymore. So I'd say like, you know, 
fees would be just really like a part and parcel of giving you the security and the peace of mind that you can access your assets. Nice. And back to the crypto market in general, um, before we wrap up, what are three insights you can share with our listeners that you believe would be useful for their crypto journey in 2023? Maybe it's not three, but like just insights in general, I'd say like, you know, the market is shifting towards self-custody. We're seeing that across all the sort of market participants that we engage with. But that doesn't mean this is the end of intermediaries. As I mentioned earlier, um, they're a necessary part of the market. But what that means is that exchanges will have to be much more transparent going forward, upgrade their security and governance, and preferably when necessarily be highly regulated. So what you should do um, or an insight is that when you engage with exchanges going forward, you should ask for proof of reserves, ask for proof of liabilities, ask for proof of governance. Ledger has solutions that allow you to trade on the exchange without having to leave your money on the exchange. Solutions like Ledger Enterprise, they also help financial institutions with governance, audit trails and security. I guess the other thing, and it's really not so much an insight, but also just to remember that, you know, when you look at yields that come from products like earned products or lend products, for example, if it's too good to be true, then please think twice. We'd like to sort of like have takeaway lessons from all these sort of adverse events that have occurred um, this year. And so that's something that to keep in mind, right? Like if it's too good to be true, then the reality is that um, it's probably too good to be true. And I guess the last thing is more, more on the market side, I'd say probably prepare for a long crypto winter, right? I don't see that, you know, this is necessarily a market bottom, so to speak, because I think the full effects of, of the FTX implosion are not fully known yet, right? We don't know the number of market participants who are directly and or indirectly affected by this, right? So I see that this could be, you know, this could take a while to get out from, but I'm actually excited by this because really now this is the time for creators to create. This is the time for value to be created without the hype of consistently rising prices, without speculation, without, and, and I know you don't like jargon, but FOMO, really, like fear of missing out, right? We don't have all that hype of, you know, moons and market speculation. And so then that's really now the time for real value to be created. Nice. So where can people buy their ledger wallets after listening to this episode? Good, good question ledger.com you can buy your wallets there i mean alternatively there are official ledger resellers as well those details Mm -hmm. can be found on ledger.com i believe your audience is is predominantly singapore so if that's the case there are official ledger resellers uh, based out of singapore i guess the thing i would recommend that you only purchase your ledger wallets from this these sources though if you receive a ledger as a gift which which many people like to uh gift 
Uh, just make sure that, you know, obviously the package hasn't been tampered with in any way. Um, and there's ways that you can check that the device is, is authentic. You can, you can do that on ledger.com as well. Oh, nice. Because I was like wondering if I received a ledger as a gift this Christmas or, you know, if I'm tempted to buy a ledger on the secondhand market, is that something even advisable? But yeah, no, always buy from ledger.com or from an authorized reseller. Yeah. Like I said earlier, the entry to market for for a Ledger Nano is $120. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would very much recommend that you just purchase brand new from ledger.com or from official Ledger resellers. Great. Thanks, Andrew, for your time. It's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you over um, on Good Girls Talk About Money about how we can look into getting our own crypto hardware wallet and how we should be looking into securitizing our digital assets. And, you know, I've definitely learned a lot from you around what the crypto market is going to look like coming up in 2023. Very sad to learn that the crypto winter is going to be extended, you know, but... Yeah, I, I get your point about how this is a time for, for people to start building good, solid cases around crypto. And I think the market will definitely get stronger after all these like um, hiccups and blips. So yeah, thank you, Andrew. No, it's my pleasure, Deborah. Um, pleasure to be invited on the podcast. Like I said, if there's one or two takeaways, that's like, you know, that's great. Um, and, you know, hopefully like, you know, um, hopefully like the, the market, um, you know, does sort of um, pick up in 2023, but we'll see. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Good Girls Talk About Money is produced and edited by me, Mark Lim. We would like to thank our guest, Andrew Lila Tapin from Ledger for speaking to us on how to securitize our digital assets. If you have any questions about this episode, please drop us an email at goodgirlstalkaboutmoney at gmail.com. The podcast will return in 2023 with a brand new season. So on behalf of the team, we wish you happy holidays.